Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, co-host here with... Wesley Faulkner, other co-host for the Just Work Podcast, and we are excited to bring to you a guest, Ellen, who you probably know, but I will let her introduce herself to you. Ellen. Hi, guys. I'm so I'm so happy to be here. The last time I saw you, Kim, it was in the throes of COVID on the yes. computer, and yeah. now... Uh, but almost two years later, I am. Uh, I've got a baby, and I'm a mom. So, so much has happened. Uh, Congratulations! I, thank Parent, you. Parenthood is the best. It's the best. I thought being a founder was, you know, giving you a run for your money, and then you have a human being, and you're yeah. like, oh damn, oh damn, <laughs> <laughs> this is real. So, just. In as far as business land goes, parenting and baby aside, I have a company called Headley and Bennett. I started it 11 years ago as a very, very kind of simple B2B business where I was making made uh, to order aprons. And the whole idea was I wanted to make gear that made people look and feel amazing in the kitchen. I had no investors. I had no business plan. I literally had nothing but myself. And I was like 24. And um, it is now bloomed into a culinary brand outfitting hundreds of thousands of chefs and home cooks across the country and thousands of restaurants. But it really started with this tiny idea and bloomed into something so much bigger. So if you're ever watching like Top Chef or Food Network or going into your favorite restaurant and you see a little red patch on the chest of an apron and it has an ampersand, which is the and symbol, that is Headley and Bennett. So now... If you know, you know, you'll see it out there in the world. But that little patch represents 11 years of blood, sweat, and tears of building this thing that represents community, pride, quality, making something very, you could call it basic, very great. And every single product we've expanded from since then, we now do knives, cutting boards, kitchen tools. Every single one of those products is developed with this epic kind of chef community. And since the last time I talked to you, the company is now almost 80% uh, online. So a lot of our consumers are home cooks and people that love cooking, but they don't necessarily have the right gear. And so they'll just go to, you know, the same old, same old places to buy the right gear, air quotes. And we are like, no, guys, we have the pros and we've been outfitting them for 11 years. Like, we're going to make you look legit. So now they come to Headley and Bennett. So it's been this like wild pivot and journey of going from one thing to the next. And, you know, I was 24 when I started. I'm 35 now. And oh, my God, the things I've seen, I just like, it's baffling. It's just I have no words for everything I have seen. (laughs) Except you do have a lot of words because you wrote a wonderful book. Good point, Kim Scott. Good point. I did write a book during COVID while I was pregnant called Dream First Details Later that breaks down how to quit overthinking and make it happen. Like so many people get in their own way and don't even start because they're too afraid of what might happen. But I've always been a huge believer that get on the damn road and you're going to learn a lot more than staring at the road and being like, what if this and what if that pothole happens? It's like, what if you go out there and actually jump into that pothole and then you learn how to get out of that pothole and then you just earned a whole bunch of resilience and then you can go do it again and be better at it. So I that has always been my life motto for sure. I I've love heard your learning, book. 
so many entrepreneurs say that they they are they wouldn't have started if they knew all the things that took to run a company or to 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 totally. to build a brand. And sometimes, you know, there is a burden of knowledge. There's sometimes you just need to just start working and deal with those details later. So I love the theme of your book. And by the way, you said that your your stuff is basic. I would call it elemental. It is the building block that you need to get started in order to make something great. So I, I, I've been to the website I and I say that everything is there is just, I don't know if basic would be the word that I would describe it. It's beautiful. Well, is when what we it is. started, people thought of aprons as a basic thing, but I completely agree with you. Everything that we make is actually very essential. We use that word internally and it's just like core quality, neat, necessary things that you can like build upon to just be a better chef. Like if you look good, you cook good. If you have the right tools, if you have a better knife, like you just show up differently. It's like if you go to yoga class and some, you know, sort of quasi crappy outfit and you don't have a yoga mat and you're just like in the back on a towel, just sloshing around, like you're not going to do the best job. But if you show up with all the right gear, it definitely kind of elevates you mentally. And I, I have seen that from day one. It's so wild, Wesley. I don't know if you've ever worn a Headley and Bennett apron, but when I see people put it over their head, like they literally will raise yeah. their head and be like, oh, oh, whoa. They're like tying it on. It fits so perfectly because <laughs> we've developed it with like the best chefs in the country. So every single detail is just right from like the thickness of the strap to where the pockets lay. So yeah, they're they're not basic at all. In fact, I call us the Nike of the culinary world because like that's what we're doing. We're outfitting. <laughs> you can almost turn it around and use it as a cape. It's so yeah. amazing. That's how you feel. Actually, Bon Appetit said this is they're like Superman capes for the kitchen. So <laughs> nailing it. Come work there with you us, Wesley. You're like part of our PR team. Thank you. <laughs> It is funny when I put mine on, I find my shoulders go back and I feel a little more confident in the kitchen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You just wait till I send you. We launched Chef's Knives in November last year. I need to send you one. They're so freaking fantastic. They're like super legit. So it's like the extension to the hand. You put the apron on. What comes next? The the knife. Then what's next? Yes. The cutting what's next the kitchen tool the pot the pan etc so like that's the <laughs> next stage of this journey but like it took us 11 years to get to these other stages we really spent time deeply deeply like perfecting the apron i love it i love it so if it's okay with you what i would love to do next is is to to read a passage from just work which you were so kind in helping me uh, sort of uh, think about as uh, yeah. as it came out. It was hard to launch a book during COVID. Uh, and and I, I decided to rewrite it. I think it's much better now. Uh, so it's going to come out as a paperback soon called Radical Respect. And oh, wow. so I'd love to read read this to you about, about what we can do as leaders to create a great environment, sort of what I call a BS-free zone, a, a, a bias, prejudice, and bullying-free zone. Is that are you are you game for that? I'm ready. Bring it on, Kim. All right. And and as always, you and Wesley will tell me what I got wrong here. So so I'm I'm gonna walk the radical candor talk. So I okay. hope you'll you'll help me make it better. All right. For me, the chief joy in being a leader is creating an environment where everyone can love their work and working together. That kind of working environment allows a team to achieve astounding results collectively and to be at their best individually. As a leader, you don't have to choose between collective results and each person's individuality. 
In fact, you can't get one without the other. The strength of the team is the individual and the strength of the individual is the team. As a leader, it's your responsibility to do what you can to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from destroying respect on your team. This may feel like trying to prevent the inevitable given the prevalence of these attitudes and behaviors. That's why it's important that when these problems do occur, despite your best efforts to respect your, your job is to respond in a way that makes it less likely that they will happen again. If you are a leader from a historically disadvantaged group, this is going to be more difficult for you than if you're a leader from a historically advantaged group. That is part of what my colleague, Michelle, the black woman who is the CEO of the company where I was giving the radical candor talk, was reminding me in the story from the introduction. I'll, I'll remind you of that story in a second, Ellen. You'll read more stories of how this plays out throughout this book, but no matter who you are, leadership is hard work. In my experience, too many leaders have acted as though creating a fair and equitable working environment was a distraction from their real job to get shit done. But more and more leaders are beginning to understand that they will have trouble getting shit done unless they first create a reasonable, inclusive working environment. All right, I'll stop there. Lay it on me. What do you think? Wow. Okay. I would first say that uh, I, I like the the growth of this. This is um, a system that you're putting in place to allow people to be accepted, and and it's not just something you say, but it's a place that grows and adjusts with the employees, which is uh, phenomenal because it's built into the structure. Um, yeah. It's something that uh, I think that jumps out to me. Uh, Ellen, you're going to say something. I was processing and and kind of soaking it all into how that would apply in our own organization and thinking about does this apply? How does it apply? So it was it was uh, I was like listening to the lecture more than giving the lecturer opinions about how she can improve it. But okay, I'm gonna put my radical candor hat on. So I love everything you said. I think my feedback would be like, how do I apply that? Like. The, yeah. the idea and the concept of it sounds very great. And yet at the same time, I'm almost like, how do I do that? Like, what's the, yeah. what is the path to attainability? Like, I'm so action oriented. I'm like, okay, so what's step one? Like, what do I need to do to create that? Do I need to have like an all hands and we talk about stuff? Like, what is the thing that you, oh, yeah. how can yeah, you land reality. Yeah. Like great concept. Now give me something I can walk away with. And it's like my, my Kim Scott checklist. So I can actually yes. go and apply this and not just feel like a dirt bag because I don't know how to apply this. <laughs> I don't know how to apply it either. Exactly. But here's six things. So, um, so in other words, the, the advice in this book is not going to solve all the world's problems. Unfortunately, I wish I could claim, but I think, I think there's some specific things that leaders can do that really can create a, a better working environment. And and I'm going to I'm going to give you the the summary of the whole book. The first Great. thing that leaders can do is to create bias disruptors. To to teach people when they notice when they're having a conversation to disrupt bias in in the course of the meeting, to say bias alert and then also to teach people how to take it, how to respond well when their bias has been pointed out. And, and to make this a real norm, to, it's, this is uncomfortable, you got to embrace the discomfort and build stamina. This, so that's uh, what leaders can do about bias. 
what leaders can do about prejudice is they can create a space um, for conversation so that they make it really clear where the line is between one person's freedom to think whatever they want, but they can't impose those thoughts or beliefs on others. So it's easy for me to say, make the line clear. It's hard for leaders to do it, but creating the kind of policies so that people can can disrupt prejudice when they and, and did, also can distinguish between bias and prejudice because one is unconscious as I'm defining it, and the other is quite conscious. And then the other thing leaders, the third thing, I think, and there's more to say about all this, but leaders need to create consequences for bullying. So don't give good bonuses or promotions to people who bully, because if you reward that kind of behavior, you're going to get more of it. The fourth yeah. thing that, that I recommend that leaders do is to, to, to sort of quantify bias in, in their management systems, like go out and proactively look you know why are why are some uh, demographics underrepresented in our organization and others are over and you don't want to you don't want to this is not a quota but you do want to investigate you want to use those numbers you want to measure what matters the fifth thing that i recommend that leaders do is to create checks and balances so that no one person in the organization even the ceo or the founder has too much power so that so that people uh, don't wind up getting bullied. And then the sixth thing that I recommend that leaders do is to create a culture of consent, consent to be really explicit, you know, that if you want to touch someone, you, you need to be sure that they want to be touched in that way, even if it's just a handshake. And yeah. if you're not sure, don't touch. And if you're too drunk to know, definitely don't touch. So right. that's, there's tons more to say about all that, but what do you think? I think that's that's pretty good. I mean, I I would if I think to my own book, like there's little snippets in there where there's infographics and I have like checklist yes. stuff. If you gave me something like that, I would like it even more cuz probably what I would do is take a photo of it and then go to my head of people and say, "Hey, I really like this concept. Like what can we do to implement this?" And then it gives people a very like clean path to doing it and then you can use that for social media and to promote that mm -hmm. one page of like action like here's five so things to improve good. your business versus like you might have bias you're going to feel bad about this what are you going to do <laughs> like that's a different yes. approach the same concept i love that all right i'm gonna i'm gonna make that one pager today I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. That's a really yeah. good suggestion. But Thank you. Dream first, details later, Kim Scott. By the way, I love saying your full name. It makes me think of like Michael Jordan. It's like Kim Scott, full name. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't use your middle name because then she's an assassin. Wait, what's your middle name, I'm Kim? Kim? Malone. Is Kim Malone oh. Scott an assassin? Well, if you think about like, you think of like uh, the people who kill presidents, they always have three oh, names. Oh, I see. Have I you see. Yeah. 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 I, I, three names. I have yes, three names. I'm all three names. Marie yeah. Uh, I'm Ellen Marie Bennett. I, yeah. Woo. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. Uh, so you're, you're, you could also, there, there's some, some wonderful people with their three names. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Thank um, you. Horrible right. stereotype that I'm perpetuating. I'm perpetuating. <laughs> <laughs> we love your name.
Uh, all right. So Ellen, lay a story on us. What What is an experience in your career? And, and one of the things I did in Radical Respect is to try to break the book down into what we can do depending on what our role is. So sometimes you're the leader. Sometimes you're the person who was harmed by bias, prejudice, bullying, discrimination, harassment, or physical violations. Sometimes you're the person who caused harm. That's probably the least comfortable place to be. Uh, and sometimes you're the upstander. Sometimes you observe this happening and hopefully you intervene yep. in some way. Okay. So so do you have, I mean, I, I imagine you have plenty of stories about being on the receiving yep. end of this stuff, but you don't have to tell one of those if you don't feel like it. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a PG-13 story. Um, All right. So there was somebody that I worked with a long, long time ago, like, oh my gosh, nine years ago, something like that. It was the early days of Headley and Bennett. And I really wanted to go to this conference uh, overseas. It was in Asia. And it was like a congregation of every vendor you could possibly think of, factories, suppliers, fabric, etc. It was like a giant mm-hmm. textile and I felt really strongly that I wanted to go to that and and I was going to go do that. And anyway, that's just like setting the scene. That's where I was headed. Yeah. And this person that had a lot of like 40 years of experience in the textile industry was helping us. And he was um, like kind of like a consultant, if you will. And yeah. uh, he basically like tore me to shreds when we decided to not work together anymore. Um, oh. And I vividly recall sitting on the plane headed to China, like uh-huh. in between two people, coach, uh-huh. middle seat. Yeah. You know, I think it was literally like the emergency row. So you couldn't even yeah. sit backward. Like you couldn't even push yeah. the seat back. It was not, not great. And he's just like reaming me on the phone about how I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to drive this thing into the ground. Like I should just listen to what he's saying and I have no appreciation for what he's doing and all of his years of wisdom and whatever. Anyway, I just sat there in between these two people just sobbing while having this guy like ream me on the phone. I I was like 26 years old Uh. and um, it was so brutal. And it's like just sewn into my soul a little bit that moment and it felt so terrible because he was so much more experienced than I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I probably shouldn't have been going to that textile show, but like the textile show wasn't the point of it. It was the point of it was that he was just like, you don't know what you're doing. You're a dumb little girl. And I'm going to show you how you can't do this without me. And I'm going to go. And, and I was like, I really uh. like, I really want you to keep working with me. And like, we really need your help. And but the truth is like we were able to move on and we figured it out and we obviously evolved and grew and, and transported ourselves from that place to a much bigger, better place now. But that moment was really hard. It was really hard for me because it was definitely like a deep, deeply uh, emotional upsetting yeah. in the middle of the plane with people right next to you that feel so uncomfortable watching and yeah. hearing me just like crying, apologizing to this man on the phone who's just like, ripping into me bullying so, you yeah yeah so that that was the uh that was the story 
And so why do you think he felt so free to talk to you that way, to, to bully? Do you, think, do you think that he treated everyone that way or did he feel free to treat you that way because you were younger or because you were a woman or because uh, some other reason? Like, what, why do you think well, that he... Yeah, I think I was definitely very confident for my age and for my experience, but it was out of just like sheer need to survive. Like, I was like, yeah. I'm going to figure this out. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Fine. We're going to work yeah. on it. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. Way. Like that was the only, I built the table I sat at. So I had to, you know, push myself into those positions that were deeply uncomfortable, but I couldn't do it other than just proving to myself and to others that I belonged. And I don't yeah. know that he really loved that, especially coming from like 40 years in the textile industry, which is like mainly male driven and very yeah. like we're in charge and we're old school and I think like I later found out he was going to, then he got a divorce. Like there was just stuff that was happening on his end that I, I think back to and I'm like, okay, yeah, you were having a lot of your own issues and you're probably like, how is this young, annoying whippersnapper like succeeding in some random little thing that she wants to make. And then it's actually like working. Like why, why her and why not me? Like that I guess is kind of what it came down to. Um, and I also like, I can totally look back at it and, and say with honesty that like, I probably wasn't a great partner to him as a, as the person contracting him to help me. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like a little kid doing this and I, I didn't, I didn't have all the answers. And maybe sometimes I thought I did. And I was, as my husband likes to remind me, I was like bright eyed, bushy tailed. And I hadn't been like scathed and damaged by life yet like nothing had happened right. everything was just like epically optimistic um and so I was probably like annoyingly optimistic to him too but on the other hand he was working for you and it was totally. your job to be optimistic you know yeah. exactly a hundred percent and and I definitely have to remind myself of that through the years, it's not the first or probably won't be the last time that something like that occurs along the way. And it's like, it sucks, but that is the reality of, of growing and evolving an organization. Like you're working with human beings and you're a human too. And so we all have like yeah. shit we're dealing with and you don't know how much yeah. stuff that person in front of you is dealing with on a daily basis. So like just having a bit of grace and understanding of that. Like I, I, I feel like my perspective on it has shifted so much since I had a kid because now I really yeah. have like a whole other vantage point of what it means to juggle and to struggle with things. And I think about employees that had kids before I did and like I had no yeah. idea what it meant to like have to go do pickup or drop off or your nanny didn't show up or your babysitter cut out. Like your, your life just got flipped upside down and everything you were going to do was almost impossible to happen. And like there's more, there's more grace and understanding in, in me now because I've lived it. I got to say that uh, having a kid really leans into that, um, being able to adjust when like there's a cancellation or your or, or kid is sick or you need to make sure that they get to something that they need to get to. But also uh, in the same kind of humility as we that we all need as people, that kids will ask the straightforward questions of why yes. are things this way or why can't I do that or why right. do, why do I need to sit still in this place? Um, to kind of questioning some of the structures that we kind of put on different people. Um, and I 
I, I think that your your ability to tap into questioning the status quo or just figuring things out or doing what makes sense is is something that goes hand in hand with parenthood. And I think that's one of the things that we lose, um, especially as kids get older, but as we get older ourselves, that yeah. we forget to question the things that we're told are the right way of doing things or the the, totally. the formal way or the way to be or the avenues for success. And ironically, um, and- like innovation happens when you question the status mm-hmm. quo, like when you lean into, wait a second, are you sure? Why don't we try it this way? Like I took a very stale category of aprons and I turned it into an entire world that now like does collaborations with Crocs and Vans and Madewell. Like you could have never kind of pictured that at the beginning, but yeah, we did that because we were like, no, we're not satisfied with what exists there. Yeah, and it's just to dovetails. I, I I drop a lot of books because I read a lot of books, yeah. and so I'm dropping this book that I read called Power for All a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. it remind me of what you're saying about that person on the phone telling you you won't be successful, but then later it's coming out that this person had a divorce, and how the, you know there's different forms of power, and one of the forms of power is to um, to reduce other people's choices is how you gain power for yourself. Um, oh, wow. Another is to um, make sure that um, you uh, consolidate uh, power by making sure you have alliances uh, in order to, to like sway um, uh, people's judgment and stuff like that. But there's like different mm-hmm. forms of power. And it's amazing to me that he treated you that way at the same time. It seems as though, power was slipping away from him in one part of his life. And I'm wondering if he tried to assert of himself more because as you yourself were coming into your own knowledge or your own way of doing things, that influence, that lack of influence, I guess, uh, was slipping right. away from him. So he had to try to reassert his power uh, in that way in order to feel some sort of security if he's looking at his power balance in his checking yep. account and uh, it's going down. And so it's uh, it's unfortunate that you were on the other side of the line when he was going through that. But um, I'm also like proud of you for not acquiescing and uh, holding your ground there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that totally. And I mean, the other thing I admire about your story, Ellen, is that you were able to, uh, at least in retrospect, have some compassion for him. Like he was going through a hard time. He was going through a divorce. Like maybe that's why he was behaving the way he was. And I think sometimes having, when, uh, when I'm getting bullied, if I sort of assume, oh, the problem is this person is, you know, or so-and-so, then I get madder, you know, and, and then, mm-hmm. and then I'm more impacted by their behavior. But if I can like take a step back and try to think like, what's going on for you here? That's one of the things we actually recommend that we sit, that you say when you're being bullied is a you statement, like what, what, why are you talking to me like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you is, kind of get them to reflect on what they're doing. Yeah. And also just to kind of push them, push them away a little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that makes um, sense. That if, makes sense. So if that were to happen to you today, what would, uh, A, it probably wouldn't because <laughs> it, it would be a stupid thing to say. You obviously do know what you're doing, but uh, that doesn't mean that people won't say stupid things. Like, how would you respond yeah. if it were happening to you today? 
honestly, if somebody was saying things of that nature, I would just try to like separate myself from them because whatever is happening is there's no, there's no like winning from that. Like it just doesn't, there's, yeah, it's a lose lose for all parties. And if they're talking to me that way, if I'm talking to them that way, like the, whatever bridge is broken is broken and we just need to like move forward. And there's something negative about whatever that is. But I, yeah, I think like my own journey and evolution in being a leader has been one where I've failed many times and done things not the right way many, many times and like have learned by like getting back up bleeding and being like, yeah, I messed that one up and then trying again. So like with each one of those times, I think I'm also like giving myself uh, like this bucket of empathy that I can like dish out at times when needed. Like I had this terrible situation happen in my company where we had signed a lease with someone in our, I don't know if you remember this from the book uh, in Dream First Details Later, but like I signed the lease of my building with someone else and we would pay them rent. And then one day we got served an eviction notice and he ran off with all the rent and we had to pay it back. And like I had no money Uh. uh, saved. And so I had to take all of the money from inventory for holiday and use that to be able to like pay the back pay on the on the months of rent. And it was like a devastating oh situation, but it I later found out that that man was going through bankruptcy and I think he was also going through a divorce. Like his whole life was crumbling around him and he had been in business for 40 mm-hmm. something years. So it wasn't just like overnight. It was like this slow trickling build. Yeah. And I'm grateful that I did it anyway with him that we signed that lease because then I got the building after they gave me the full lease and I wouldn't have been able to get the full lease if I hadn't signed the lease with him in the first place. Cause I was too young. I yeah. was too whatever. Like they didn't want to give it to a 27 year old. This like 16,000 square foot building, but yet I got it after that circumstance. So he helped me push forward, even though he also dragged me like 12 steps back and caused me a lot Uh. of headache, heartache. But like, that's kind of how I try to think about circumstances like that. Like it feels horrible in the moment and you feel like the world is caving in on you. And I very frequently feel that way. And then I, after the month goes by, I look back and I'm like, holy crap, like what an epically fantastic circumstance and a gift that you had that happen to you and now that's done. And like, you don't actually, you don't need to be in contact with that person or like that situation is over and you learned all these different things. So it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I like navigate these, these things. I love the resilience uh, and, and like finding the, finding the, the silver lining. It's uh, it's, that's a huge part of being an entrepreneur is pushing yeah. through and making it work, even when it seems like a catastrophe. It totally. sounds like the thing to do, like before you enter any business arrangement or hire a consultant, make sure you question whether or not they're going through a divorce first. Sounds like from <laughs> exactly. looking at your story. Yeah, the divorce thing is really real. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, people are not at their best, uh, no, when, but it's not. also good to extend people a little grace, uh, when they're going yeah. through a personal, yeah, personal definitely. situation. Um, well, thank you so much. I always love talking to you, Ellen. I admire the company you've built. I admire the way you've built it. And I love the book you've written. So thank you so much. Really fun, fun talking. 
Thanks for having me. And for everyone listening, come follow us on Headley and Bennett and Ellen Marie Bennett on Instagram and go to our website, headleyandbennett.com so that your kitchen can be way better than it is today. I promise you have a dull knife in your drawers. Guaranteed. I'll help you fix that. <laughs> and, 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 and the aprons are so beautiful. It's all beautiful. Uh, if you're going to cook. Yeah. Come, come join our world. Thanks for having me, Kim and Wesley. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And if you would like to join us as well, please email us at hello at justworktogether.com. And if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or another podcatcher, please give us a rating and a review so we know how we're doing. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.